primary care knowledge boost, how to look after yourself in general practice. Hello everyone and welcome back to Primary Care Knowledge Boost. We were so excited to be able to record this episode with Dr. Rachel Morris, who amongst all her other roles is the host of the podcast, You Are Not a Frog. Yeah, and despite our incredible expectations, she managed to even exceed them. <laughs> yep. In the You Are Not a Frog podcast that she hosts, um, she talks to professionals about topics all around resilience and burnout, well-being, assertiveness, coaching, um, and it's an absolutely phenomenal resource that's you know available for all healthcare professionals. And, and and other professions alike actually but yeah we were absolutely thrilled when she agreed to talk with us when we reached out to her <laughs> oh 100 um so in this episode uh, we hear her top tips for looking after yourself in general practice based on her massive wealth of knowledge around the topic we talk about burnout, how to recognise it and how to get help, um, a little bit about coping with the negativity in the media about general practice at the moment, and we do touch a bit on assertiveness as well. The topic of well-being and resilience and coaching skills has got a lot of different resources around it and we love her podcast and um, the other thing to mention as well is that about two years ago now uh, the fabulous Dr Rebecca Barron spoke to us on the podcast all about her resources and her advice and things that she's found useful all around well-being and resilience. So if you do fancy listening to that, they're still available. And there's yeah two parts, one on individual resilience and one on organisational resilience as well. So yeah, we found the discussion with Dr Rachel Morris today absolutely fascinating and we're really excited that we get to share it with all of you. Enjoy. Um, so we always kick off with introductions. Uh, so would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners and give us a little bit about your background? So I'm Rachel Morris. I'm a G- GP now working as an executive and team coach. Um, I have a background in medical education and I am also working as a tutor for the postgraduate certificate in medical education at the University of Cambridge. So I run my own organisation um, doing coaching and training for resilience in the workplace, specialising in doctors and other people in high stress jobs. And I also host the podcast, uh, You Are Not a Frog. That's me. <laughs> Amazing. How do you fit that all in a week? <laughs> <laughs> it's tricky. Hence, hence my avid uh, consumption of uh, productivity self-help guides <laughs> completely fair <laughs> so how did you how did you get into all of those avenues the teaching the coaching the podcasting and kind of that area of well-being well-being and resilience for healthcare professionals yeah so it's been a really sort of serendipitous journey so I initially got into medical education when they offered us a, a six-month extension to our training as a GP registrar so um, I worked at the University of Cambridge as um, associate director of GP studies and then I did a master's in medical education and started uh, leading their professionalism course so I set up and led the doctor as a professional all you know all those bits about clinical practice and duties of a doctor that aren't you know, the direct clinical skills, which are things like, um, but are, well, they are clinical skills, but they're not sort of the, the scientific technical skills, things like leadership, patient safety, resilience, um, teamwork, all those sorts of things. So that got me very interested in the professional behaviour of doctors and, and and other people who have been, you know, trained very highly in, in, in the technical stuff, but might not have been taught anything about leadership or resilience and things like that. And as part of that journey, I trained as an executive coach and I started to, you know, find out all these things that were out there. I had never come across as a doctor. I'd never come across as a, a GP. And I just thought some of these productivity techniques some of these coaching tools some of these sort of personal leadership and management tools were so so helpful I thought oh my goodness this is really important and so I started doing some teaching and training in resilience starting off with well-being um, but then got much more into the sort of broad resilience stuff because when I was going into organizations and talking to lawyers and doctors and other people you know in in very busy jobs where you're doing the day job but you've also got the other responsibilities on top of it I realized that the the main barrier to well-being just it wasn't that people didn't know what to do it was that they didn't have any time to do it Mm -hmm. so you couldn't just go in and teach people how to be well you needed to teach them how to manage their um, their workload and their time and take control of that before you can get anywhere near the the, the well-being stuff yeah 
Yeah, that completely makes sense. And then did the podcast kind of grow out of that? Yeah, so I've always been a huge fan of podcasts and I just like the idea of starting one. And so, yeah, I just thought, well, I don't know if anyone will listen. So I'll just start one. I'll talk to people I find interesting about topics that I'd like to hear about. And then, yeah, it seems that people have been listening and it's, it's grown from there. So yeah, I love the podcast. It's great fun. Yeah, there's a real authenticity to your discussions as well that you're coming from that perspective of knowing how busy it is and also appreciating kind of that resilience is a bit of, can be a bit of a dirty word and some people see it as sort of victim blaming and, you know, it's not coming from that top-down directive for resilience Well, I'm always trying to think of who will be listening to this. It is probably going to be a GP driving home from work at nine o'clock in the evening, having just done a 13 hour day or a hospital doctor just finished a really busy on call shift and they've got a a list tomorrow or something like that. And so some some waffly stuff about, you know, you just need to sort of take three hours a day to do this and that and you know it's just it's just not going to cut it people need some some stuff about what small changes can you do now to make things so much better because there's a lot of stuff that actually you you can't do as a doctor as a healthcare professional that that is out of your control so it for me it's all about thinking about what can you do and and a lot of the resilient stuff out there is based on things that actually we don't really have much control of as a doctor yeah absolutely So that's perfectly bringing us into the next question, really, which is if we sort of think about new to practice clinicians, GPs coming into general practice at the moment and starting them on their journey of of being uh, taking care of themselves, um, essentially, and doing what we can to help ourselves. Um, Can you give us your sort of pearls of wisdom, essentially, (laughs) to help them? So I've got I've got a few tips. I think firstly it's probably really important to just sort of um acknowledge what's going on. I think your your previous point about, you know, victim shaming with resilience I think is really really important because yeah. I think there can be a real feeling particularly amongst people working in healthcare at the moment is that all these well-being initiatives and the resilience stuff is just to make people more resilient so they can put up with working in an absolutely toxic toxic environment and my colleague uh, Caroline Walker's got a a picture of a flower growing through concrete and sometimes it does does feel that what we're trying to do is teach people how to thrive in an in incredibly difficult environment and I think it's really important that we don't put all the onus on the person to be resilient so that they can put up with anything that's thrown at them that's just not right there is a massive responsibility for our leaders and our workplace uh, you know in in the workplace to make things to make things better the problem is if we just throw our hands up and go oh it's all their responsibility to make things better that and we haven't done anything for ourselves then we're just gonna we're just gonna drown in the work we we are we are going to burn out it's going to be really difficult so I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that there is a massive responsibility and things need to change yet say to people and this is what you can also do to to be able to survive and make things better and maybe even thrive in in your workplace so I just wanted to sort of caveat that because I think that's really important so that I guess there are there are a few things that I've noticed, you know, amongst doing my Shapes Toolkit courses with doctors and, and other busy professionals and also with one-to-one coaching and also with the guests that I've had on the podcast. I, I would start with control, actually. Where is your locus of control? Because I have talked to many healthcare professionals who are getting very, very stressed about things that they can't control. They've got no control over, you know, the government initiatives what the practice is making me me do, you know, the, the patient demand, the fact that people are getting upset in the media, all those sorts of things um, over the the workload, which a lot of the time, actually, that is that is out of our control because we can't control what comes through the door as GPs. That's almost like the job description, isn't it? You know, you can, any, anything can come in. And that's often why on calls can be so stressful because, you know, anything can come in right up until the phone, the phones go over and you have no control over that. But I think that sometimes we don't take control over what we can take control over. And so for me, it's recognising what we don't have control over and recognising what we do have control over. And then firstly, accepting that stuff that we have no control over. 
patient demand, often salary levels, coronavirus. We have no control over that. But the courage to change the stuff that we do have control over. And the things that we have control over are pretty much what we do. (laughs) I mean, we can't control other people, but we can control the decisions that we make. We can control where we work, you know, how many sessions we choose to work. We can control the conversations that we have with people. We can control how we organise our time and our workload. Um, We can control what time we go to bed, uh, what time we leave the house in the morning, how we look after ourselves. We can even control things like even maybe how we structure our surgeries, you know, how many breaks we put in for ourselves, um, how we choose to interact with our colleagues. If if we go and have coffee with people, I mean, obviously social distancing permitting and, and, and things like that. So I think sometimes there are lots of things that we're not taking control of that we that we could change. Uh, and that is a it's sometimes quite a difficult thing for people because, for example, when, when I've done training um, around this, often people say, well, I have no control over what time I, I leave work. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I, I felt like that. I have no control over what time I leave. So then the question is, well, who does have control over what time you leave? I mean, who has control over literally what time you step out of your chair and get into your car or on your bike? Actually, it's you. But then the answer comes back, yeah, but I I can't leave the work undone. (laughs) Mm. You could leave the work undone, but that will then have consequences of of affecting patients and maybe not doing your job properly. properly. And those are consequences that you don't want, right? You have the choice, but you probably wouldn't make that choice because of the adverse consequences, but you, you always have a choice. Now, that is quite difficult to hear that we have a choice, but sometimes we don't have the choices that we want. We'd love to have the choice of being able to leave at five o'clock with all our work done. But pretty much we don't have that choice. We've probably got the choice of actually having to make a decision of this is the time we're going to leave and there'll be that that's undone. And when am I going to choose when to do it at a different time? So as soon as you start getting, and I call, you know, when you're in your control, I call that being in your zone of power. Once you're in your power, you then find actually a few more options opening up for you. It's a a difficult thing to see. I think once you've seen it, you you can't unsee it, but that's what I do find with a lot of um, healthcare professionals. This is this um, idea that they have no choice and they have no power in situations. And often when you sit down and go, actually, what choices do you have? often that's when they become unstuck and they see something opening up. Now, now often people have a lot of yes buts on that, so I just wanted to pause <laughs> and say, yeah, what yes buts have you guys got right now? <laughs> I, I get it. I definitely... Uh, I'm I'm definitely fighting with already what you've said, which is just that thing of getting to um, sort of a time that you decided you were going to leave. Like, okay, this this time it's going to be different. <laughs> I'm going to leave uh, at a better time. I'm going to leave before eight. I'm going to leave at half seven. Um, and then just feeling that, yeah, but that, that will just have that knock-on effect is unacceptable, essentially. Yeah. And it might be like, okay, I've got to leave by that, that time. So what things do I have to do before I go that's absolutely crucial? What work is there left that I need to do? So when am I going to choose to do that work? Is it going to be later this evening? Am I going to set some time aside on my day off to do it so that I can go home? And, and often when you start to take back control, it, it feels a lot better. I remember coaching someone who was getting very resentful of the fact that work always bled into the weekend when she when she wanted to be off and so you know what was she in control of she wasn't control of how much work there was there was just too much work to fit into the session that she was sessions that she was paid to do but once she'd accepted that you know I guess what's in her control what she could say she wasn't going to work those sessions or work somewhere else or um you know work less sessions but she chose to work there so it's like okay I had that work I am going to choose then to put two hours aside on a Friday morning when I I shouldn't be at work, but I'm going to choose to do that with a nice coffee and a cake. And then I'm going to go out with someone for lunch so that I don't feel guilty on a Saturday that I should be just checking in my test results because I've already done it. So that's what I'm talking about being more powerful. 
it's not being able to make the stuff go away because sometimes you just can't do that does that make sense yeah it does especially like you say framing it from the wider picture as well where you're saying actually you have a choice with the workload because that's what I was thinking I was like yeah but there's the, the I don't have control over the workload which is forcing well forcing me to stay um but you're right there's a choice to move where you're working to perhaps somewhere less or take less shifts so there are options available and sometimes there is a choice to say no about stuff to say no to the patients sometimes to you know if you're a partner in a practice you can start to perhaps affect the workflow and the way that you do things and then we're starting to look at workload management I'm trying to stop using the phrase time management because you can't manage time we all have 24 <laughs> hours in a day that can't it just can't be man you know that can't be managed but you can manage what you do with your time so I guess that would take me on to the next real tip that I you know that that, that, that seems to be helpful for people and that is to prioritize your work because we have too much work. <laughs> Everyone has too much work right now. And so something that's been very helpful for me is to think, actually, what are the three things I really have to do today? What are my three top priorities? Um, and then what, if I've got those done, then, then, then essentially I will then stop because that is what I needed to get done today. Now, obviously you need to make time for the urgent interruptions and that often is called being on call <laughs> you know or it's, you know you, you you get you get time to do your surgeries and things like that but so often we we fritter away our time there are things we can do to to get little bits of time back like batching tasks and and things like that but I'm also think that we're just doing too much so we either need to we just need to try and eliminate some stuff and that is about making some difficult choices because you know we can do anything well, we can't do everything. And we're going to have to decide, well, if I do this, I can't do that. And I think as GPs, what we're very bad at is creating enough time to do the things we've signed up to do. Mm. So I've known several people who'll work however many sessions and then have several different roles on the side. And often they're trying to do those roles at lunchtime off the side of their desk and they haven't completely underestimated how long that thing is going to take them to do. One, one thing that's been quite helpful is... Um, and I often do this with coaching clients or in training sessions, is to get people to map out their week. You know, what does your week actually look like? You know, morning, evening, afternoon. And let's put down how many sessions are you working? Right, let's put those in. How much does that take? Actually, if you're working two sessions, that's probably more like 12 hours work, right? So let's put that 12 hours work in. When are you going to do the rest of it? What other roles do you have? You know, like how long does it take to do a podcast? We know it doesn't just take an hour to do a podcast, does it? You know, that's more like a day or something, you know, when it takes comes to the editing and getting the guests and all that stuff. So when are you going to do that? Let's put that in. When are you going to look after yourself? When are you going to do those other roles that you've got, such as maybe a bit appraisal or, you know, partnership work take, takes quite a long time. And if you look over the course of a week and see what you're actually doing... Often you look at it and think, oh, crumbs, no wonder I can't get a day off. <laughs> no wonder I'm not getting to the gym or no wonder I'm not seeing my friends. And then, then what you can do is get another blank sheet of paper and say, what does my ideal week look like? And actually, I've, I've got a, a tool, a PDF that I can send you the link for if people want to download and, and do this because it's really helpful. I do this several times a year for myself. What's my ideal week look like? Put in every, everything you'd like to do in terms of work, in terms of family, in terms of hobbies, social life, well-being, and then just compare the two and go, right, okay, what, what do I need to drop now? And that can, that can often help you because actually planning how you like your life to look is sometimes easier than planning what you want to do with it because you do have to make some choices and often it's a choice between good things as opposed to bad things it's quite difficult to say no to something you really want to do yeah so I think working out what you can eliminate is really important and um just prioritizing prioritizing your stuff and really sticking to it one really top tip I have actually is to do your best work at the best time because a lot of us are quite good in the mornings or are our best and most creative in the mornings. But what do we do when we get to work? You know, this is assuming you're not, you're not getting to work and you're jumping straight into seeing patients. But you open up your computer and you check your emails, don't you? Yeah. Actually, that's quite a low quality task. What if you got to work and you set aside half an hour to work on that important thing 
that's not really, really urgent, but you know you've got to get it done and it takes a bit of headspace to think about. What if you did that first thing while you're fresh for half an hour and then you get to everything else? Well, for me, that's been a complete, complete game changer. So taking control of what you can control and prioritizing is really, really important. And then finally, I think in terms of my, my pearls of wisdom would be catch the story that you're telling yourself in your head because that is the greatest source of stress for us all. Mm. Oh, tell us more about that. (laughs) So it's a little bit tricky to explain, but actually all our stress is caused by our thinking about stuff, right? So if you said to me, I needed to urgently get a business case or a proposal in by five o'clock this evening that would be really stressful for me because I'm on this call now recording the podcast and I'm doing a whole afternoon in shapes two click training this afternoon right so I've not got any time so I'm thinking I won't be able to do it oh my goodness I'm never going to get it and that's a really important bit and I'm going to miss it and blah okay it's my thinking about it if you said that to me tomorrow when I've got a bit more time I'd be like that's fine Uh, I'll give you another example. I was driving along the other day and this car pulled out straight in front of me. You know, I had to jam on my brakes. I was like, oh, that stupid driver didn't look really selfish. Probably he's on his phone, blah, blah, blah. How dare he? Assuming it was the man. (laughs) Dreadful, isn't it? Okay. Then I clocked sight the driver. It was a woman. It was a friend of mine. And immediately I was like, oh, she's probably in just a huge rush, isn't she? Oh, dear. You know, oh, I'll let her go. All that. You know, exactly the same event. What had changed? It was a story I was telling myself. Right. So imagine you are now, I'm sure this won't ring any bells for either of you. Imagine you're in a surgery and you're running late. (laughs) Ever happened? (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, so you're running late and you're thinking, oh my goodness, you know, you've just had maybe two really difficult patients, you know, one child protection case, another, maybe a a new mental health problem, something like that. So we know those don't fit into 10 minutes, do they? They take a while. And you're thinking to yourself, oh crumbs, I'm I'm now running an hour late. The receptionists are going to be really cross with me, that the the patients are going to be really, really cross. I'm such a bad doctor. You know, no one else would run this late. What's wrong with me? I'm just really, really rubbish at this. Gosh, okay. Um, better get my head down. So what happens? You put your head down, you, you, you feel the stress building up and up and up as you run later and later and later. You don't take a break because you're trying to catch up. You don't go to the loo. You run through reception so that they can't catch your eye. You uh, you don't ask for help from your colleagues because you're thinking to yourself, I must be a rubbish doctor. They'll judge me if I, if I ask for some help. And things go from bad to worse and you find yourself making mistakes. It's purely because of what I'm telling myself in the head. So if you ask yourself, what's actually true in that situation? The truth is, those patients needed me to take that long. Actually, that was me being a really good doctor with them. The truth is that we're often not given enough time that we need to do to deal with patients. The truth is that most of my colleagues struggle with this as well. In fact, I've never found another GP that doesn't struggle with running late. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it probably means I'm a good doctor. That yeah, the patients might be frustrated because nobody likes being kept waiting, right? But it doesn't mean that they they're hating me. And reception will yeah, they're frustrated, but they understand. Okay, from so telling myself that story now, the stress has gone, even though it's still a bit bit annoying. But I'm thinking, right, I could probably ask for some help. I'm just going to go to the loo and have a cup of tea because that's going to really help me as well. And I'm just going to go talk to reception and tell the patients, I'm really sorry to keep you waiting. Or maybe phone them if it's a list of phone calls. You know, the doctor will be with you. There's been some longer cases. You can rebook if you want to. Now I'm in a much better frame of mind. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the stress um, that's happening is caused by these stories we're telling ourselves, I ought to, I should be, you know, I'm not good enough. I'm this, I'm that, this will never end. I'm never going to get home. It's going to make me doubly late. They're not going to listen. They're going to judge me, all those sorts of things. So I've really tried to catch the story that I'm telling myself about things. Often it's not true. Often it's making assumptions. And then judging myself really harshly mm. you know why am I forcing myself to be perfect or telling myself you must never make a mistake you know mm. of course we make mistakes we're only human so once we can start catching those stories and then thinking to ourselves actually what is true 
Um, how can I change this script that's run, that's running here? That will then make us feel a lot calmer. And actually, it will it will help our performance as well because when we're telling us, ourselves those stories, what happens is the amygdala, the amygdala fires up, kicks in, you go straight into your stress zones, into your fight, flight or freeze zones. I call that being backed in the corner. And when you're there, the rest of your thinking brain just shuts down and you make rubbish decisions. Yeah, you can all think of times, you know, the times when you've, when I've been rude to patients, when I've done things I, I, I'm not proud of, <laughs> you know, snapped at colleagues or, you know, just made daft decisions. It's always when I was in that, when I was in that stress zone. Mm-hmm. So actually we don't perform very well in there. So actually this story in your head thing is really important, not just for resilience and stress, but also for making good, safe clinical decisions. Absolutely. So I have just talked for a very long no, time there. It's so fascinating, Rich. Honestly, like it, yeah, that last bit particularly rings true. I know I'm absolutely frightful for making assumptions and judgments about other what other people are thinking about me. And then that does just raise my stress level so much more. So I think that's going to be a very useful tip. Yeah. At the at the end of every day, I got into a very bad habit when I was running particularly late the first two years of qualifying in general practice where I, I was getting into my car and telling myself that I was a bad doctor <laughs> um, and it is it rings really true so it's lovely to kind of and I think actually from listening to you on Out of Frog I know that loads of um we had a lovely chat for resilience as part of our first five talk and it was just that genuinely having to reframe and just go look okay this isn't true and t- talking back to yourself about it because I think it's just so common when all you're doing is you're trying to do your best, but we aren't given the time <laughs> to do it and it doesn't run like clockwork at all. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a very recognisable situation. It's absolutely lovely to hear you talk about it. So yeah. The other thing I was thinking of, I think the additional bits about COVID and all the things that we're, we're putting up with, the negativity from the media, uh, I think is an, an additional stress. I think that backed into a corner, I, amygdala (laughs) amygdala Amygdala firing that I think is is in there now that as part of the equation that in a way that it wasn't quite as as prominent last year maybe um is there a kind of way of reframing that yeah well I think this whole what's the story in your head is really is really important thing because you know we're hearing this awful stuff from the media we're hearing you know patients complaining um you know on what What's the story in our heads about that? Um, we're, you know, we're saying to ourselves, you know, they think we're lazy. You know, they think we're we're not open. They're they're criticising the whole of the general public hates us. You know, all that sort of thing. Actually, what's actually what's actually true here? Okay, yeah. the truth is not that whole of the general public does not hate us. It's a small bit of the media that seems to particularly have it in for us. But what else is true here? What else is true is that the whole of the world has just been through an incredibly traumatic experience, right? People have lost loved ones. They've had their freedoms taken away from them. They have not gone to see the doctor because they've been so frightened of getting COVID. A lot of people have lost a lot of money. They've lost businesses. They're worried about themselves. So that's what's actually true. How's it coming out? It's coming out because they're cross that they are not necessarily getting the instant care that they want in the way that they want it, right? That's what they're cross about. Does it mean that we're bad and that we're not giving a good service? No, it doesn't. Does it mean we're not doing our best in really difficult circumstances? No, it doesn't. But it's it's their stuff. You know, it's not about us. It's about them. And actually... For me, I think thinking that actually we're on the same side as the patients, right? They're saying, I want to access a really great service. We're going, yeah, we want you to be able to as well. And this is the limitations we've got on us at the moment. A combination of lack of funding, a combination of lack of GPs and things like that. Actually, this is what's happening. We would love to be able to do everything that you want. We we literally just can't at the moment because we haven't got enough people to do the work that's coming that's coming at us you know so it's not it's not a I'm a dreadful doctor I can't give the patient what I want us yeah yeah let's recognize what they're saying might not be true and a lot of it is their 
is their stuff and their frustration about what, what what's going on. But immediately, the moment we start to take that really personally again it's our thinking about the stories that they're they're telling so I mean what can we what can we do about it well firstly what can we control not a lot (laughs) I can't control what's printed in the the national press um you know and, and hopefully we need to trust that our leaders are speaking up for GPs okay what can I personally control well I can control if I read it or not Right. Mm-hmm. I control I can control how many Facebook groups I go into and get really riled about it. Right. I can control what I talk to my friends about. I can control if I look at that stuff on Twitter. I can control if I respond to it, right? And I can control how I support my colleagues. Cause someone I was talking to someone the other day and they said, you know, we, we just need to support each other. You know, we're not we're not gonna get support from the general public and the press at the moment. That's not happening why don't we just support each other and say, you are doing a fantastic job. GPs out there, you are amazing. Can I just say, I just think people are, I have not spoken to a single GP who is not feeling really exhausted and tired at the moment. People are working so hard and they are doing an amazing job. And, you know, and it is okay to say no and to take time off and to look after yourself. Because frankly, unless you do that, you are not going to be around for the long haul to be able to serve the patients in the, in the way they want to. And I think, you know, the truth, the truth is we need to start uh, looking after ourselves and making peace with our limits. Otherwise, there won't be, there won't be any GPs left. And then the patients will be even more hacked off. So, you know, actually they don't know the, they don't know the full story. And so, you know, it is frustrating when we hear it and it's, it is profoundly demoralising, but who are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to our colleagues who we know have got it and they know what it's like or are we going to listen to people that have no idea? And I don't know if that helps or not, but you've got to focus on what you can control. Yeah. Um, I think that probably leads quite nicely into talking a little bit about burnout because we wanted to um, spend a little bit of time speaking about that, especially with us talking there about um, how bad this last, I don't even know how long it's been now, it just keeps going, um, time has been, the amount of work, the lack of GPs. Um, we did want to kind of talk about this and, and first of all, how people could maybe go about recognising it in themselves. Yeah, it's, I mean, burnout is really serious, right? And I think that we slightly confuse stress and burnout. <clears throat> I think burnout is the, the result of, of too much stress. When you're under stress, you've got a lot of cortisol going around, you've got a lot of adrenaline, everything is on the go, your mind is racing, you're feeling quite anxious, you know, it's a high energy state. Burnout is when you've quite literally burnt out your hypothalamic pituitary axis, all the hormones have gone and you are exhausted, okay? And there are three main hallmark symptoms of burnout. One is exhaustion. The second one is lack of empathy, so that will often come out as cynicism, um, as just sort of not not caring anymore. And actually, the, the the best example of lack of empathy I've heard is from um, Catherine Hickman, who was one of the guests on the podcast. And she said that she talks about a burnout that she had a few years ago. And she said she she first realised when she went to pick up her daughter from school, and the doctor said to doctor, the teacher said to her, "I'm really sorry, but another child has bitten your child on the nose." And her first thought was, oh, that's something else I've got to deal with. Not, oh, darling, are you okay? It's just like another thing. So if you find yourself, you know, thinking patients, oh, an- another one, another thing, you know, then then think, actually, am I losing my empathy here? Am I losing my empathy for my colleagues? That's a sign of burnout. And then the third symptom is a perception of poor performance. So you feel that your performance has gone down. And I think it probably has gone down. And I think that um, if you are in burnout, your performance probably will be quite low because as we know from the stress curve, increasing pressure increases your performance to a point and then it goes downhill. So mm-hmm. the, the more stress we're under, the, the worse our performance often. So those are the three signs of, of burnout. And I know that there has been, you know, people have described varying degrees of burnout. So I'm not quite sure how many degrees there are of it. I think it's degrees of stress and then probably you hit burnout. But it's serious and 
you can probably recall from patients, if you see a patient who's, who's burnt out, they'll come in and you'll think, oh my word, you know, let's give you a bit of time off work. And they'll go, okay, just a couple of days, doctor, and then I'll come back. And you think, mm, you're going to be back. So they're back the next week going, well, I've had a few days. I'm actually not feeling any better. So maybe I need a couple of weeks. So it's a couple of weeks. And soon it's like six months, nine months. Often you need a long time to, to get through it and to recover. And you find that people that have had a severe bit burnout completely reset their lives because they're like, there is no way I'm going through that again. I, I really, really need to change something. And I think the issue with doctors and stress is that we get stressed and then we do a little bit of stuff and then we keep going and then we do a little bit to help. And, and if you don't quite got to burnout, you keep going back to the same things that are causing you exactly the same stress. You know, if you were getting ill because your water was poisoned with lead, you know, and you go away from your house and you have some nice water and you get better... And then you come back and you just drink your water again. Well, you're going to get ill again, aren't you? And I think that's with stress and burnout. You, you have to change something, right? If you're going to get better from burnout, whether it is where you work or how you're working or how much you're working, or there might also be some other factors that are causing a lot of, a lot of stress. You know, we mustn't forget personal factors. If you have a sick child or you're going through relationship breakdown or you've you know, had a bereavement or something that, that can also add to it. So we need to take it really seriously and, and, and nobody is super, superhuman. And actually I think it's the, the doctors that think they are superhuman that almost have the most crashing burnouts because they keep going and they keep going and they keep going often your colleagues can recognize it in you before you recognize it in yourself I think yeah yeah that's a good point and if you I guess both sides of that then if you recognize it in a colleague or if you are recognizing what you're saying in yourself out there listening what would be kind of the good next steps do you think I think firstly talk to somebody so you know if, if, if someone has pointed out something to you that talk to them about it, have a chat, talk to your friends, talk to your family, assess things and, and get some help, get some professional help, you know, go and see your own GP or practitioner health, really important because they can talk to you and they can diagnose it properly. We should just never be diagnosing ourselves because we, we can't see it. And I think sometimes, dare I say this, talking to other GPs might not be the best. Like don't, if you're talking to the other colleagues in your practice, there's a couple of problems with that. Firstly, they might be as burnt out as you. <laughs> so they might not think it's anything new or different. They might just think it's normal. And yeah. secondly, one of the barriers, I think, for recognising burnout amongst our colleagues is the fact that if we recognise it in someone else, it increases our workload. Because yeah. if I'm working with that person and I can see they're really struggling but I'm really struggling too. Am I going to say, I think you're really bent out. You need some time off. If we're already two partners down and someone's on maternity leave, that's really difficult because that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back for everybody else. So I, you know, I do think we all need to pull together. We all need to be really honest and open, but we need to make sure we are getting some sense check, maybe from outside our own work environments. I don't know if that yeah. makes sense. No, it definitely, definitely does. It's really useful. Um, did we interrupt your flow, Rachel, in terms of talking about your tips or? No, I mean, I've got, I got loads. I guess my, my other tip would be in something I talk about a lot is this getting out of the rescuer role at work yes I was um, going to so ask I, you about this I love, yeah. love, love this absolutely love it I found it so helpful yeah tell us all about this <laughs> yeah I mean this is a, yeah the, these podcast episodes get a lot of listens about how not to be the rescuer and about handing the naughty monkeys back and I think you know as, as healthcare professionals and doctors we, we're nice generally mostly <laughs> with a few notable exceptions we are nice people right we, we want to help people and we want to do our best for people and we're trained to rescue people you know that's what we do someone comes in they tell us their problems we go right this is what we can do and and we help the 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 problem is when we take on the role of the rescuer seeing the other person as a victim and then there's another in the drama triangle you have someone else being the persecutor that could be the social services it could be the NHS it could be their illness or whatever and then we take on all the responsibility and we take on all the stress of that and often we're taking on the responsibility without having any of the control because mm -hmm. I have no control over what my patient does 
Right. The only control I have is really if I see them, what I prescribe and, and who I refer to. You know, there, there's very little control over we have over people. But people do quite like us to solve their problems for them. And they like us to take on their their, their issues. And, you know, I know that trainers sometimes can find that they're taking on too much responsibility for their trainee. Um, GPs can take on some, too much responsibility for their patients or their perhaps even their colleagues. Um, and we feel that that is our role, but it, it, it can be very stressful and very draining and it can be completely exhausting. So a lot of my work is talking to people about how we can just step out of that role and be much more coach instead of rescuer. So we can, yes, we help people, but we help people solve their own problems rather than solving them for them. Mm. So you know, rather than saying, right, well, I'll do this for you. It's like, okay, how are you going to do that for yourself? Things like that. And just get that mindset. And the mindset about giving the naughty monkeys back is rather than someone coming in and seeing you and you leaving with all these naughty monkeys, these things that you've got to do, all these emotions or these worries and the problems is actually you're able to help the person deal with them, but you, you, you give them back. They're that person's things to deal with. They're, they're not yours. You can help them deal with them, but they're not yours to take on. Because frankly, if you're seeing 40 people a day, uh, or speaking to one of the, you know, and you've got maybe 60 naughty monkeys after <laughs> after all that, then you've got too many monkeys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's really helpful. <laughs> and we've got an episode on that. So that's the episode Dr. Amit Sharma yeah. um, on, I think it's called Handing the Naughty Monkey Back or something, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful. I loved it. Yeah, that one and the tr- drama triangle were both yes. kind of completely changed my thinking. Yeah, the drama triangle is really powerful. And I do the drama triangle with anyone from trainees, right? So, you know, we've, we've done it with, um, you know, really senior trainers and, and leaders in healthcare. And they're going, oh my goodness, this drama triangle. <laughs> It is a bit. It is a bit of an eye opener because, actually, as leaders, we're not that good at it either. Uh, we sort of just take that responsibility up with us, and soon we're like responsible for a whole area of the country, and that's that's a lot of naughty monkeys to carry around with us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> do you, Do you have any tips on assertiveness and how to say no? Mm. Well, <laughs> yeah. So this is a, we get asked this a lot. Um, and there are all sorts of fantastic books and things about how to have difficult conversations, be assertive. I would take it back to what's the story in your head? What's the story you're telling? Because if you're someone's asking you to do something and you're thinking, I, I ought to do that, they're going to think badly of me if I say no, you know, then then you're going to be, oh, okay, yes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If the story in your head is, actually, I don't have time to do this, um, I, I'd rather not, and they might be a bit hacked off, but actually long-term, they're not going to think badly of me. Then you're going to be much more able to say no in the first place. Now that takes a little bit of mental processing. So the first thing I'd say, if if you want to say no to someone and be assertive is buy yourself some time. So Mm -hmm. say, ah, can I think about that? Sounds interesting. Can I think about that and get back to you? So you can then go away, just examine the story in your head, examine what's true, and then come out with a really logical answer and one that, you know, really values that person, but actually values you as well. Because assertiveness is where you're valuing the other person just as much as you're valuing yourself, but you're able to state to state what you want. So I think it would be to give yourself time and space, examine the story in your head, and then just come out with the, the no. I think another really good tip is don't explain yourself too much. Because yeah. the more you explain, the more it sounds like you're making excuses. So sometimes just, I'm really sorry, I can't. Boom. <laughs> Practice yeah, that one. Leave it there. No, I'm really sorry, I can't, because I've got to take the guinea pig to the vet and then I've got that and I've got this and that. You know, just don't. Just, I'm really sorry, that's not going to work for me. Yeah. That's another whole training session, though. (laughs) That's another entire podcast on how to say no. Yeah, they should be compulsory, absolutely. (laughs) Um, So, sort of thinking then about sort of resources, what Mm. would you recommend? Well, I'd I'd recommend any um, person working in healthcare reads a book called Essentialism. I recommend it to everybody by Greg McEwen. Strapline: The Disciplined Pursuit of Less. Or as I like to think of it, do fewer things but better. It's really helpful and it talks about looking after yourself, but it also talks about how you make those choices. 
you know, because every yes you say to one thing is a no to something else. So that's really helpful. In terms of sort of personal management, I, I don't think you can get much better than The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. I mean, it, look, it looks like you guys have both read that. Um, just, it's a big, thick manual, isn't it? But yeah. it, it really changed my life when I read that. I was like, okay, this makes so much sense. So there, there's those two books. Um, you know, we, we cover a lot of this stuff on the podcast on You Are Not a Frog. Yeah. And then if, if anybody's interested we have a an ongoing CPD webinar membership for doctors called Permission to Thrive. It's specifically for doctors. And once a month in an evening, we get together, we have a webinar on something around how you give yourself permission to thrive at work. And we look at some of these thoughts that we're telling ourselves. We're looking at giving ourselves permission. We're looking at guilt. We're looking at this. We're looking at how to take control of your, your time and your work and, and all those sorts of things. So if I give you the link to put in the show notes, if anybody wants to join that, um, do check it out. That would be fantastic. And then um, I can also give you that, um, the Thrive Week Planner, it's called, where people can map out their ideal week and compare that to their actual week and then think about what what changes do I want to make. So there's all that sort of stuff. And if you sign up for my mailing list, we have lots of different things we send out as well. So if anyone's interested, I'll, I'll give you the link for that. And of course, we have this sort of Shapes Toolkit training and workshops and stuff like that too. Excellent. We will put that all in the description. Wonderful. Thank you. Can't wait to use the Thrive Week Planner. I'm very excited. <laughs> oh, it's a good one. It is It is really worth doing. Do it. Actually, I'd, I'd recommend get post-its and put them on it and then you can move ah, stuff around nice. so that works quite nicely as well. I like it. Yeah. Um, and then just before we go, it's sort of takeaway points, really. What, what would you say your takeaway points from this discussion? Well, I guess it'd be my three tips would be firstly, focus on what you can control rather than what you can't control. Um, secondly, um, prioritize you know prioritize what's really important to you and set us and plan time to do that and thirdly is is catch the story that you're telling yourself thank you so much for talking to us today Rachel it's been and me as we've been very very excited about this chat for a little while so we really appreciate it <laughs> oh thank you and if people want more actually one thing I did forget to mention is we're just about to relaunch the Resilient Team Academy so that is a membership for leaders in healthcare who uh, want to support their teams to beat burnout and work happier and they have webinars and um, bite-sized activities and it takes them through the Shapes Toolkit so that is launching in October and November we open our, only open our doors um, twice a year so I'll again stick the link to that in there as well um some people might might just be interested in that too absolutely thank you so much Rachel oh it's been such a pleasure to be here thank you thank you so that was a absolutely lovely uh, episode with Dr Rachel Morris um what did you think Lisa Oh, it was. It was just fabulous, wasn't it? Like like you said in the introduction, it just did exceed our expectations, I think. Um, like having heard Rachel on her own podcast um, and kind of just then being able to get those little like bits of information that she's distilled from all of her like massive <laughs> interviews to give us like the, the gold kind of nuggets um, yeah. was fantastic. Um, for me, I think the biggest take home was around the the catch the story that you're telling yourself mm. because I know um, that I am I am absolutely dreadful for that. I just everything catastrophizes and I'm always thinking about everybody else and what they're thinking of me and how terrible I am at getting everything done. Mm-hmm. Um, when actually, if I do what she says and take that step back and go, well, what's true in that sentence? It pretty much none of it is. <laughs> and, um, th- I think that would really help my stress levels um, and being able to be productive so that that was my biggest take home what about you Sarah it's just so important that really resonated and at the amount of times when I'm bringing patients in and I'm so sorry I'm so sorry <laughs> I think sometimes I've learned things before and then I fall back into the old habits so I've I probably have slightly you know caught myself doing it and just reframing it and being like thanks for waiting but actually it's you know it's all the bits added up together and it's what you take home with you I, I, yeah, absolutely. So important to to sort of think about how you're thinking about things and, and what can we change? Yes, like the control. Like, yeah, again, a bit fundamental, but really useful to actually think about, well, all of this stress that I've put on myself at the mm-hmm. minute, how much of it can I actually do anything about? Mm-hmm. And what what of what I can control can I change usefully to actually make my life better? Yeah, absolutely. I loved um, thinking about that and thinking about 
prioritizing having your three things that you you know that you must do today and that everything else is kind of it's okay (laughs) you know that's just so it's so much more it's, it's such an effective way of keeping yourself topped up really in terms of feeling slightly more energized rather than that oh you've got all these things to do and you must do them immediately and it's it's no what what do I absolutely have to do and then uh, you know bonus things (laughs) otherwise yeah Yeah. exactly yeah and the mapping your week I love it oh yeah I can't wait it'll be really interesting to look at (laughs) um I thought it was also really interesting when she was talking about um the bits around the the rescuer role mm. um, and the kind of the monkeys um, and just thinking she said the line I wrote it down and like taking you're taking on the responsibility without the control <laughs> um, and that like that fully makes sense and it is something that I was a hundred percent guilty of doing all the time and the fact that actually yeah why would you do that to yourself why would you take on responsibility for things that you can't control that somebody else's um, like you've got enough in your own life that you're dealing with yeah. why why take on all of that other stress and monkeys from other people yeah um so yeah that that was really <laughs> incredible to think about and just yeah put it back to other people it's their it's their issues yeah. you can help them but you just don't have to take on all of the responsibility yeah. oh, i love i love the drank uh, the episode on the drama triangle she did as well and just her introduction to it there was perfect as well just that whole thing of like not being the rescuer yeah. you know and that like actually that's not helpful for people to be in that victim no. role and that it doesn't empower them and yeah it, it's really empowering to the person acting as a rescuer to also to think of it like that and and not building up resentment then yeah yes exactly for something that you you've done <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> put them in that role and taking on all the responsibility and then you feel resentful yeah um, yeah. yeah so no I mean they're just they're brilliant life tips they're just so important and going through about burnout and recognizing burnout and thinking about lead poisoning I think that was such a wonderful oh, analogy yeah. as well just just so important to look after ourselves and and yeah I, I did feel really happy when she said you know we are doing an amazing job and we need to back ourselves <laughs> back each other up and say that to each other because so often you're just stuck in your room and providing that support for each other when our amygdalas are firing (laughs) we're backed into corners we feel like the narrative is really negative and actually yeah just having our back will get through this and there are things that we can do there are things we control and yeah talk to each other yeah yeah definitely so yeah if you want to get in touch with us um, you can do so through all the usual channels we uh, really appreciate people who are liking sharing and leaving comments um, on the different podcast platforms so um, if you if you want to do that that'd be great um, and if you want to uh, tell a friend um, that would be even more fantastic thank you yes absolutely till next time on Primary Care Knowledge Boost guys just a friendly reminder that these podcasts are for healthcare professional education and shouldn't be used for medical advice by the general public this was recorded in greater manchester in 2021 guidelines can vary by location as well as over time so always check for up-to-date local and national guidelines before making treatment decisions Uh, the content is based on our interviewee's opinion and interpretation of current best practice it's your responsibility to use your clinical judgment before applying or relying on information solely from this podcast Check out the episode description for full details and any links that we've mentioned in the episode.